All right, pray this with me. Uh, hold your Bibles up. Hold your notes up. <clears throat> Let's pray this prayer. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into death. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And right now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. God's holy church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. If you're new tonight and you say, what is that crazy prayer that they are praying? I just want to tell you that's called the Apostles' Creed. And we pray that. It's been, it's been prayed in the Christian church for over 1,500 years just like that. And it is prayed every single week by over 1 billion Christians. So we join them and saying we're part of a bigger family. More than just the 100 plus people that are in this room, we're part of 2 billion Christians on the planet. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that the prayer does is it reminds us, it reminds us it's not just us, we're part of a gigantic church the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, there's some amens right there. John chapter 13, verse 2 says, the evening meal was in progress. I want to let you in a little bit on some background. Basically, just want you to know this. This is the night that Jesus is about to be betrayed. He will be beaten to an inch of his life, and then the next day he'll be crucified. So that's where we are um, in, in, um, in Jewish daytime calendar, in the Jewish calendar, the day begins at sundown. Does that make sense? So, so for instance, for us, sundown is happening at 5 o'clock in the evening. So right now, what day would it be? Y'all want to guess? What day would it be? Yeah, so right now it's Thursday. So Jesus is being beaten on a Thursday night, which is... Um, their Friday. Does that make sense? So he's so, so all that to say he's beaten and killed all in the same day. That was the point that I wanted to make to you. So so this is the night that Jesus is going to be beaten and killed. John chapter 13 verse 2 says the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas. If you remember Judas is the one that had been given money to rat Jesus out, right? To betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I'm going to give you the most important word in the entire chapter we're about to read. If you've got a pen, get ready to take it out because I want you to underline it and circle it and star it and asterisk it. I want you to make sure that you see the most important word in this entire chapter. It is so emphatic. It's a huge word. It is a word that when we see what it does for us, it opens the door into understanding the character and nature of God in the greatest way that you're going to understand the character and nature of God besides the cross. So this must be a big word, right? This has to be a big word. And the word is this. So. 
S-O. I want to read this again. Look at verse 3. I want you to see this because this is a monstrous word. This word is a gigantic word. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. What is under Jesus' power? Say it again with me. What is under Jesus' power? Everything. Now let's think about what all things are. Does that mean that the, the earth orbiting around the sun, does that count in that? Does that mean that the fact that you and I have life and breath, yes or no? Does that mean the reason that the sun comes up in the morning and sets in the evening? It is the reason that the universe is continually expanding. That it is not just this, this, um, this stagnant universe, but it is a dynamic universe in which millions of stars are being created every single day. Is that not insane? Millions of stars. And who is in control of them all? Jesus is. Good, Jesus, God, you did good. Jesus is. So listen to this. Jesus knew he was certain in his heart. He had this feeling. He had this understanding. How many of you have ever just known something so strongly, even though other people doubt it? You're just like, anybody ever, the teacher asked a question, and all of the class was saying one thing, and then you were saying this other thing, and you were right. Have you, has that ever happened to y'all before? Never for me, but I bet it's happened for y'all before. I was always on the wrong side. So verse 3, I want you to see this. Jesus knew, he understood, it was certain to him that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, I know this doesn't make a ton of sense to us, but Jesus grew up 2,000 years ago, and he lived in a, in a, in a country that was made mostly of sand and dirt, not a lot of, not a lot of grass, a lot of sand and dirt. And in that sand and dirt, most the vast majority of all of the people walked everywhere that they went. Everywhere that they went, sand and dirt. And no one had, there was no such things as socks and shoes. Those things hadn't been invented yet. Toms hadn't made their way over to the Middle East yet. And so what they were is they were using, they were walking, most people were bare feet, some people wore sandals. Have you ever been to the beach in flip-flops and you walked along the beach and you got all of the sand inside and just crusty and it just was gross all in your feet? So that's how people were everywhere that they went. There was never a time. Not just that, there were some rich people who walked around with like donkeys and mules and even horses sometimes and they would walk through the streets. And if anybody has ever followed a horse before or followed a mule or a cow or a donkey, when they walk, they don't, they don't take a break from walking in order to use the bathroom, they, they are multitaskers. Have y'all noticed that about horses? Anybody ever been behind a horse? I've, I have ridden in a horse carriage before, riding through the streets of New York, beautiful and romantic while the horse is just unloading. It's a very different, it's a very ironic scene, right? And so can you imagine poop everywhere, and look, hey, how crazy is that? I'm not even Amber preaching. But poop everywhere. 
People's feet and people's feet are dirty, crap all over it, legit. They've got sand and dirt. Everywhere that they go, you're walking through dirt and sand and debris and poop everywhere that you go. And so what would happen is anytime you would go into someone's house to eat a meal with them, one of the slaves would come to you and wash your feet. But it always, there was this, there was this caste system during Jesus's days. There was this hierarchy and only the lowest slave. Anybody ever been a part where there was, um, you were on a, um, you were either on a team and you knew that you were the, we do this in band. This is where I noticed that it shows up a lot. Anybody ever sat last chair? Me, I have. I was last chair in my high school, uh, in my high school trumpet section. I was the last chair. There were eight trumpets. Guess which one I was? I was eighth. I was last chair. I never sat first chair. I was never a first chair trumpet player. I was always last and when you are the last chair person, or have you ever been on a ball team and something had to be done and everybody looked at the worst player on the team and was like, you do it. Anybody ever seen something like that? That, that was me. I was last chair. So it, during Jesus's, during Jesus's days, not just the slaves would watch feet, but the lowest slave would wash the feet. Now, now let's go back to this for a second, because this is very important that you see this. Verse three, one more time. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And we just talked about that. Jesus is in control of it all. The sun rising and setting, the stars being birthed. He's in charge of the birds that chirp, the lions that roar, the wolves that howl. He sustains them all by his power. He knew that all things had been put under his power and that he had come directly from God and that he would soon die and return directly to God. So, he knelt down on his hands and his feet and he washed feet. What does this tell us about Jesus? This isn't just this lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. This is Jesus acting as he truly is. This is the character of God. We have this idea often that God is this uh, distant being who sits on a throne and throws lightning bolts, right? That's the image that we're given. You know, the, the, the Greeks gave us this image, right? And it pervades our understanding. We think about the warrior God who is a general and leads his troop into battle. Or we think about the king God who sits on a throne and directs orders. But Jesus shows us who God really is. God is a servant and he serves. He doesn't do it like you and I do it. When I serve, most of the time that I serve, it is an intentional, I, I have to swallow my pride and do something for somebody. How often, how often do you do that? Anybody ever, uh, how many of you, your parents have ever said this to you before? Why can't you just do something without being asked? Anybody's parent ever said that before? Why can't you just take out the trash without being asked? Why can't you just clean your room without being asked? Why can't you just set the table? Why can't you just clean the table? Why can't you just do the dishes without being asked? Your parents are saying this, why can't you just serve without being asked? The reason is, is because it's not in our nature. We're broken. And the brokenness shows up in our pride, 
The, broken, the brokenness shows up in, the, in the, our lack of humility. And it shows up in our lack of willingness to serve. Jesus, being full of God, knowing that God had put thing, all things under his control, that he had come from God and he was returning to God, so he got down on his hands and his knees and he washed feet. The lowest job that there was cleaning the crud from the bottom of people's feet. This is who God is. God's a servant. God's not the distant king that throws lightning bolts. And God is most certainly not the warrior God who leads his troops into battle. God is the servant God. And it is who he is. And Jesus reveals to us the truest character and nature of who God is. That's who God is. When I was um, 15 years old, I, um, I was asked by my 16-year-old cousin and his family. They had just moved to Philadelphia, and they invited me up for the summer. I got to go spend almost a month with my cousin in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I didn't know that Philadelphia was so close to so many other really cool things in the, in the Northeast, up in the um, New England area. I didn't know those things because I had never been there. So I got up there, and his parents said to me, hey, what do you want to do while you're, while you're here? And I said, well... I don't, I don't know what's up here. And they said, well, we could go to see a Major League Baseball game. I'd never been to see one before, and I was like, I want to go see one. I went to see a, a Philly, uh, Phillies game back with, well, y'all don't know who Kurt Schilling is. But anyway, I, I got to go see him pitch, which was very cool. And then they said, well, tell us some other things you want to do. I said, I just don't know. He said, well, do you want to go to New York City? And I was like, yes. Yes, I would love to go to New York City. They said, all right, we're going to plan it. He said, New York City is only an hour train ride from here. From here. I was like, yes, I'm so in. So the morning that we were to go to New York City, I was so excited. My cousin and I and his parents were going to go. <clears throat> I'm 15 years old. My cousin's 16 years old. I come down the steps that morning. My cousin wakes me up and says, hey, it's time to get ready to go. I come down the steps, and my aunt is still in her night clothes. She's still in, like, her bathrobe. And I go, oh, they must be running behind. And my cousin comes up to me, and he says, hey, bad news, my uh, my parents can't go to New York City today. And I was like, dang, I so wanted to go. And he goes, so we're just going to go. And I went, what? I, look, I, I'm just going to tell y'all. Can you imagine your parents just saying, hey, go chill in New York City when you're 15 years old? How many of you are 15 or 16 years old in here in this room? Can any of you imagine your parents saying, go hang out in New York City for the day? Anybody feel like your parents would? CJ, your mom would have? All right. Addison, you think your dad would have? Yeah, sure. So, so we get on the train, we go to New York City, and my cousin says to me, what would you like to do while we're in New York City? I said, I don't know, tell me what there is to do. And he starts naming different things. We can go visit the um, Statue of Liberty, we can go to the um, um, Empire, I mean, uh, yeah, Empire State Building, right? Um, he said, we can go, um, we can go uh, tour, we can go tour the Rockefeller Center which y'all know it, uh, where they put up the big Christmas tree and everything during Christmas. We can, he said, we can go see a show if you want to. And I said, what is that? He said, we can go to see a Broadway show. And I went, I don't know if I want to do that. And he goes, it's really fun. I think you would enjoy it. And I said, fine. We and I couldn't really come up with any good ideas. And he goes, let's just go see a show. I was like, all right, fine. So we go into this show. It's, it's a, it's a, Neil Simon show by, uh, called Lost in Yonkers. And it's just a play. It's not a musical. And it's a very intimate, small theater. There are only several hundred people in there. It's barely bigger than this room right now. The stage is right here, and we're sitting where you can, where you literally, like I'm sitting from, from where Scott and Landon are in the back. That's how close I am to the stage. 
and the, and the play begins. And remember, I don't barely want to be here. I'm just like, whatever, we'll do it. Sounds kind of fun. I'd been to a couple school plays, and, you know, we'd been to, like, the Alabama Theater, that kind of stuff. And they begin to act, and about 30 minutes into the play, I notice that my jaw is on the floor, and I have this 15-year-old epiphany where I realize, I go, oh, oh, so that's what this is. When people talk about Broadway, oh, oh, that's what this is. I was amazed. I was blown away. It was one of the, one of the few moments of my, you know how you have several moments in your life where you just go, that, like that was, that was so memorable, I will carry that with me forever. That was one of those moments for me. I just remember sitting there going, this is the greatest thing I've ever watched in my entire life. I've never seen a show better. I've never seen a concert better. I've never seen a movie better. This is the most amazing thing I have ever seen in my life. Jaw drop. I remember intermission happened. I was like, please, can't be over. And they were like, no, 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 it's just intermission. I was like, what's that? So we get to go to the bathroom. I was like, I don't want to go. I want them to keep going. So I watched, the, I watched the show and it got over. And all I could think about was when do I get to do this again? And you have these actors on the stage who had performed and who had done their, like this was what they were gifted to do. You know that these, there was a, there was a 11-year-old kid who is, who is the best actor that I have ever known personally. I didn't know him. He's better than any actor I've ever known in my entire life personally. I just thought, who are you that at 11 years old, you know how to convince us that, that to believe a lie? Because that's what a show is, right? It's not the truth. It's a lie. We're watching fiction. We're watching a story. We're watching something that's not real. And I was so enthralled and in. And the whole setting was a living room. We never left the living room. And I watched for two and a half hours. These actors convinced me that this was real. And I was so into it. I was just completely captivated and enamored by their gifts. Listen to this thought. Pride is not possessing extraordinary talents. It's not viewing my skills highly or even showcasing my gifts for the benefit of others. That's not what pride is. Pride instead spurs me to view myself as the only one in the entire world who matters. To think that I have somehow earned the prime spot in the universe and now all of creation is a grand symphony that celebrates me. That's what pride is. For a few moments, I want to talk to you about what pride is because pride is one of the biggest inhibitors for you and me using our gifts to glorify God. Jesus, convinced that he had come from God, that he was returning to God, and that God had put all things under his power, got down on his hands and his knees and served. There is no greater image in the history of the world of servanthood than God on his hands and his knees washing the feet of just some nobodies. Pride is not thinking too much of myself, but pride is thinking of myself far too much. The kingdom of heaven is where Jesus' way of life is the way of life for everyone. The kingdom of heaven is about the service of others. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about a place where we serve others. The attitude of hell believes that everything exists for me. 
the attitude of heaven says that my job, my role, what I get to do, what I have been given as a privilege to do is to serve. The attitude of hell is others need to serve me. When I look at our political system or I look at our entertainment system, it's set up in such a way to convince us that what, that what we should be ascribing to is for someone to serve us, right? I watched the, um, <clears throat> I watched uh, with my kids, y'all are going to laugh at me, but I have to tell you, I think I'm a believer. I watched three times now uh, Taylor Swift's <laughs> concert on Netflix. How many of you have seen that on Netflix already? Reputation Tour. Yeah, by the way, Reputation Tour, uh, Netflix. Can I just tell you, uh, number one, I probably wouldn't have watched it um, three times, but I did. I can't believe that I did. But I watched it three times. Listen to this. Taylor Swift tells us, Taylor T. Swift, she tells us in our, uh, during the concert that she has over 380 people that travel with her to put on the concert. And in every city she goes to, the city has to provide over 3,000 other people to put on the concert. So 3,500 people are putting on every single concert that she does at night, all for one human's name, just to see T-Swift, right? And that's, that's, that's what we think the height, the height of humanity is. When 3,500 people serve my needs and my wants, she, her tour so far has made over $350 million, and she is making over $2 million a stop. One night, she shows up, she sings for two hours, and she makes $2 million. I'm going to help you with the math. You guys probably start working, making about $7.25 an hour. How many of you have a job? How many of you, how many of you have ever had a minimum wage job? I've had a minimum wage job. When I started, it was $4.25. T-Swift, $1 million an hour. That's what she makes. $1 million an hour. I don't think I've made a million dollars yet in my life if you accumulate all of, my, all of my salaries. I don't think I've gotten there yet. I've been working for 25 years. I don't think I've hit a million yet. T-Swift makes a million dollars an hour. And we have this idea that what the height of humanity, that that which we are to ascribe to, to aspire to, that that which we are to hope to be is something like that where 3,500 people all get together just to serve our dream and our gift. And what Jesus tells us is that I'm God, I came from God, all things are in my control, and my privilege is to get on my hands and knees and wash feet. That's what Jesus tells us. There's something backwards and broken in our political system, our entertainment system. There's something backwards and broken when we think that the world, that the best that I can do is when I can get people under me to serve me. And what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. The height of humanity, that, that, you, that which you were chosen for, built for, created for, is to get on your hands and knees and to wash feet. That's what the height of humanity is. I can't get my brain wrapped around it. I wish I could. There's a part of me that every once in a while I get a little prideful when I think, hey, I could have gone and made a lot of money and I decided to work at a church and work with kids. And I go, look at me. 20 years. I've been working with kids. That's at least okay, right? And Jesus says, close. 
How often do you get on your hands and your knees and you wash feet? How often do you get in the baby room and change diapers? Which, by the way, is against the rules at the church or I would do it. uh, Men can't do it. That's really true, by the way. Boys can't change diapers. Dang it. We have this idea that all, all the world's a stage and everybody's watching me. Pride is self-obsession. Eventually, self-obsession destroys the soul and it eliminates every life-giving relationship that any of, us, any of us could enjoy. Pride destroys our ability to connect with others. Listen to this. Pride is the natural love for myself magnified and perverted into disdain for others. Listen to this. This is good. Pride is the natural, keep that up there if you will, Bethany. Pride is the natural love for myself. You're supposed to love yourself. Jesus says, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Obviously, he's telling you, love yourself. We should love ourselves. And what this says is that pride is this natural love that we have for ourselves that is perverted and magnified into where I don't just love myself and lift myself up, but I begin to look down on other people. That's what pride is. So what does pride look like? Like, how does it show up to, to, for me and for you? In, in John Milton's Paradise Lost, anybody ever read that? Satan is cast out of heaven. And he looks around and consoles himself by saying, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Unlike the other sins, pride appears when I'm at my best. Think about that for a minute. Usually when we're sinning, it's when we're at our worst, right? When we're doing dumb things, stupid things, we're we're wrecking our own life. Pride appears when we're doing our best, when we think that we've got it together, when we think that we are something, when we think we've accomplished something, all of a sudden pride, you can't, like, like you can't get a break, right? You do your worst, sin. You do your best, sin. Like there it is, sandwiching us in. And Jesus says, hey, I got a solution for you. Get on your hands and knees and wash your feet. What pride does is when I fast, like when, I, when I'm, so we're in the middle of a fast right now, right? Pride says when I fast, I begin to, pride tells me how devout I am how awesome I am, how devoted I am, how spiritual I am. If I stop fasting so I won't draw attention to myself, pride tells me how noble I am. I just didn't want people to see me. I, you know, I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to show off. So now I'm so noble because I've stopped fasting. If I share wisdom, pride. If I withhold wisdom, pride. If I give pride. If I refrain from giving, pride. If I pray, pride. If I remain silent instead of praying, pride. Pride has this ability to squeeze and sneak in in any area of our life. Pride is always there as, as a false light to bask in. So what does pride look like for a teenager? Like what does pride look like if you're a teenager? One of the things that pride looks like for a teenager is when you only do things that are best for you. When you only do things that are good for you. So, I, so I've done youth ministry now for 20 years. And I find, I find it very sad 
when a teenager bases the entire decision, the entire process of deciding what they are going to do with their life, and it's based on how much money am I going to make. That's what pride looks like as a teenager. Instead of saying this, the world is broken, and I have the gift to do something about it. The world's a, a, a mess, and God has gifted me in order to heal it. God has given me the gifts in order to do something about it. You guys, 25,000 kids died today because they starved to death. 25,000 kids, they starved to death today. And pride is what tells us that I think that I would rather be a lawyer and make a lot of money. Or pride is that thing in us as we're thinking about our future. We say, what is it that I'm going to make the most amount of money or I'm going to achieve the most fame or I'm going to get the most people to look at me? That's what pride is. And what Jesus is calling us to is to come down with him on his hands and his knees where he's down washing feet. And so all month long, Amber and I will be talking about what does it look like to serve? God has gifted you to serve. God has given you these, this personality and these gifts, these talents, these skills that only you have. You are the most unique you that has ever existed on the planet. But inside of that, God expects you to come down with him on his hands and knees where he is, because that's where power is, and to serve, to wash feet. That's what we do. As followers of Christ, we wash feet. Christian has to mean something, right? It can't just be another label that we say, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't watch bad things. Christian has to actually mean something. Christian means I do what Jesus does. I live my life the way Jesus lives his life. And what do we see today in this story as Jesus, knowing God had put all things under his control, knowing that he had come from God and that he would return to God. So he got down on his hands and his knees and he washed feet. To be a Christian means you have to wash feet. To be a Christian means you have to sacrifice those dreams and desires that have been implanted inside of your head by culture, right? There's something on the inside of us that says, oh, I want to be T-Swift. I want to be Taylor Swift and have 380 people serve me and travel around the country with me as I make $350 million on my grand tour where everybody watches me. There's something, there's something on the inside of us that culture is shoving down our throat saying, you're going to be the next football star or baseball star or rapper or musician or entertainer, entertainer or actress or rich human. And Jesus is down on his hands and knees screaming, no, 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 no. This is where you're supposed to come. Culture's trying to scream at you to go here. I'm telling you, come down here. Life is down here. That's where life is. And pride is the voice that speaks into our ear that says, come this way. And Jesus is the voice that speaks to us. No, 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 no. Come down here. This is where life is. This is where I've called you. This is what makes a difference in the world. This is what changes life. This is what imprints eternity down here. If you close your eyes with me tonight, I want to ask just a couple quick questions. <clears throat> I'm going to ask our leaders to come here to the altar with me. I just want to ask two simple questions. Just close your eyes for me and you don't have to, you don't have to bow your head. You bow your head, you fall asleep. 
So just close your eyes for me. First one is very, is, is very simple, and it's just this. Say, Pastor Jeremy, I heard you talking about Jesus today and, and that being a Christian has to actually mean something. I, I, I prayed a prayer one time, but I don't follow Jesus. I prayed the prayer, but like I don't live my life like Jesus lives his life. And if that's you tonight and you say, I, I, I think I, I want to follow Christ. I don't want to just pray a prayer. I want to follow Jesus. And if he's down on his hands and knees washing feet, I guess that's where I'm supposed to be too. Anybody in this room that would say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm ready to give my heart to Christ. Will you lift your hand? I want to pray for you tonight. Good, I see you. Anybody else? Good. Anybody else? I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? I, I, I think it's time for me to, to live my life for Christ. Anybody else in here? The second thing is this. Good, I see you. That's, that's four of you. And I'll, the only reason I tell you that is because there are some of you in this room that are kind of debating it. And I want you to know if you lift your hand right now, you're not by yourself. There's a handful of us in here already lifting our hands saying, it's time for me to make a decision to follow Jesus. Good, I see you. Anybody else? The second thing is this. You say, Pastor Jeremy, I, I don't know what it is, but when you were talking about how we have these aspirations that culture has put into our hearts and not necessarily God, I began to think about my own future and think, oh, that's some of the things that I've thought I wanted to do. That's some of the things that I've aspired to. That's some of the things that I've desired to do with my life. And it sounds like you're saying that Jesus is saying something different. I want to hear Jesus's voice louder than I hear culture's voice for the future of my life. If that's you in here tonight, you would say, Pastor Jeremy, I, I, I'm challenged by that. That if God's not calling me to, to make a lot of money and God's calling me to wash feet, I, I, I want to I hear his voice. If that's you in here, will you lift your hand and just say, hey, I, I think God's challenging my future. Great. One more, one more, go ahead and put your hands down. One more, one more ask. Pastor Jeremy, I think that God is challenging my future. What I've always thought, what I've recently begun to think that I was supposed to do with my life, I think God's challenging that. Anybody else? Great. If you'll stand with me tonight, Daniel's going to put on some, some music. Your leaders are up here. Some of you, your leaders might have even said to you tonight, hey, come pray with me. Any, anything else that's on your mind? I, I, I have two thoughts that I ask, but you can come pray about anything. That's why we're here. So as I begin to pray and you lifted your hand, there's about 15 of you that lifted your hand. And then anybody else that wants to. By the way, my group Edge is going to come down and put their hands on your back and pray. So um, you, you, get, you got some free space down here. So as I begin to pray, if you lifted your hand, let's... Um, begin to walk this way, okay? Jesus, tonight, I'm grateful that you're calling teenagers to change, to live a life that's different, that's countercultural. Culture is telling us to live one way, and Jesus, you are calling us a very different way. Tonight, will you speak to teenagers and challenge us? I know that your words are challenging because they're so different than what we hear all the time. There's still a few more of you if you'll go ahead and come as I'm praying. Jesus, tonight, God, give teenagers courage to follow your call and to move your way. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Um, Edge, if you'll come down and...